So one thing that I like to differentiate between is remixing and repurposing. So repurposing, the way a lot of people think about it, is just republishing content from one place in another place. Uh, and that can be good, but a lot of times it's not done strategically, and it's also not enough. So we talked about the content hamster wheel at the beginning of the interview, and a lot of people turn repurposing into just another hamster wheel to run on, where they're still creating the same amount of content, but now they also are trying to repurpose each piece of it to like 10 different places. And so instead of just building all of these other treadmills for yourself until you're running on like a bunch of different ones and dancing around, but instead you really want to use repurposing and remixing and stuff like that to be able to create less content. Uh, and that go it goes back to that enough number. Like if you're going into a launch and you've launched before, improve the emails you have, change them, sure, but you don't have to start from scratch. And so that is remixing. And I really like to draw the analogy with the music industry because content is their product. And look at how creative uh, remixes and remasters get in that industry. You know, one of my favorite examples uh, that I like using in webinar slides is Billy Joel. Uh, on his Spotify page for every single song, he's got like five or six different recordings of it between like the original version and the version on his greatest hits album and the different live concerts and the remastered version of the original album. And so he is just coming up with all of these different ways to create new content from the original content in order to stay relevant. And that is really the approach that I like to look at instead of just repurposing everything you create in 10 different places or something like that. We're surrounded with the message that entrepreneurship is the hard life, the stressful life, the burnout, hustling and pushing is par for the cause. And while scaling a business isn't without its challenges, I am passionate about showing women that we get to step into financial overflow doing what we love. I'm on a mission to not only help you scale your impact and your income, but also to support you in running your business in a way that allows you to reclaim time back to spend with the people that you care about most. Join me for interviews, trainings, and musings on sales and marketing and mindset because I'm a firm believer that our businesses grow at the same rate that we do. I'm your host, Naomi Powell, wife, mother, speaker, and business coach, and this is the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. Brittany, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you today because when it comes to content creation, one of the things I'm constantly hearing from people is just the sheer overwhelm of the, the, the need to be constantly creating more, more, more. I feel like every time some Instagram comes out with a new feature, everybody coils like, oh my God, is this going to be like a new thing to do? We've got to do Pinterest. We've got to do all of the Instagram stuff. We've got to do the newsletter. So when I came across Brittany and her work and just her philosophy about getting super intentional about content strategy, thinking about all of the ways that we can repurpose and splinter all of this incredible content that we've been creating rather than being on the hamster wheel. I was like, got to get her on the show. So I'm really, really pleased to have you. So before we get into all of the nuts and bolts strategy, could you just introduce yourself and just let people know who you are, who you serve, how you serve them, and how you came about doing this work? Sure thing. So I kind of stumbled into content marketing when I was in college. I was just thinking about this this morning about how 
in college, I was studying both journalism and public relations, and I kind of knew that I wanted to be involved in business communication of some sort. And those were kind of like the two sides. And in one of my PR internships, they were like, oh, you write too? Okay, so you'll handle the blog. And that was kind of how I stumbled into content marketing. Um, not even sure if we really called it that yet. It was just business blogging. And that was kind of how I discovered content marketing. I was like, oh, this is the best of both worlds. This is the really the writing heavy stuff of journalism that I liked while being in the business environment that I liked with like the appeal of PR. And so uh, once I found content marketing, I kind of never looked back. Um, I stayed with that company actually for four or five years. So I started off as an intern. Um, I then came on part-time while I finished off college and then full-time for several years. Um, and so by the time I left that company, I was running a whole team of content marketers and I was now running the internship program that I had started out in. Eventually, I knew that I wanted to move to New York and one of the softwares that we used was headquartered there. And so I ended up getting a job with one of the software companies we used and I stayed there for a few years. And that was really where a lot of the stuff that I talk about today was shaped. Um, I learned so much there. It was during a really fast growing time for the company. Um, and I had an amazing boss. And we were in kind of a unique situation where when I came into the role, we had tons of content. The company was a few years old at that point, And they had been blogging since before the product had even launched. But they had changed so much from the tiny, you know, like three-person software company that they started out as to the 20-person software company they were when I started with them. And so a lot of that content wasn't really doing anything for us. And so a big part of my uh, job at that company was always as much like cleaning up and maintaining content and kind of fixing things that were no longer strategic or best practices and balancing that with the new content creation. And so that was kind of, I had to develop a way to manage it all, to manage the team for it all. And that was kind of how I realized, oh, you really have to build a content strategy that works in content updates and content optimization and repurposing and stuff like that from the start. Otherwise, it can really start to work against you later. And someone would be in the situation I was in where they kind of inherited a ton of this outdated content. Uh, and Eventually, I had some burnout issues um, after a few years at that company. Like I said, it was very fast-growing, fast-paced, um, very hustle culture. Uh, so while I loved what I was doing, uh, the culture wasn't the best for me. And so I ended up leaving to deal with some health issues. And during that time, uh, I really learned a lot about the relationship between productivity and self-care and mental health and stuff like that, uh, that ended up becoming its own business, Work Brighter. Uh, and so that is where I spend a lot of my time these days. But because I just see such problems in the content marketing industry, I, I cannot fully let go of the content marketing industry. Like I said, I've never looked back. Uh, and so I still have BrittanyBurger.com going more in more of a teaching and consulting role these days, helping just kind of the overarching, uh, the overarching promise is uh, more customers from less content, whether that means better repurposing, whether that means just creating more strategic content in the first place. Uh, I just know, yeah, a lot of people uh, 
are on what I like to call a more cowbell content strategy, uh, where we always for a really long time have treated content marketing as synonymous with content creation and forgetting about that stuff like distribution and optimization and maintenance. And now a lot of us have that mess on our hands. And so this different framework helps us balance it all better. Oh, this is so good. So bringing, start us off, somebody's now, the light bulbs are switching. They're like, yes, I feel like I'm doing all the things I can definitely be optimizing. How do we first start to audit our content? Because I loved what you were saying about how you were working with those companies is that you were really taking inventory of what content they had already created and looking at what actually worked for them. I think that's where people can often feel overwhelmed and not knowing where to start. They don't know how to measure like what content actually is like doing the heavy lifting for them. So what would that audit process look like? I like to take kind of a different approach to content audits than a lot of marketers. Whereas instead of focusing on the whole website at once, I like to take it one goal at a time. So I would start off a content audit by just choosing one goal in your business for the next upcoming months or years or so like that. So maybe it's a specific product launch and you would uh, go through all of your old content with that goal in mind and think, what do I have already working for me towards that goal? What do I have that could be working towards that goal, but is not? What do I have that's like actively you know, taking away from me accomplishing this goal. Um, and so those are kind of the three categories. The first, the first one I like to call greatest hits. Um, the second category are your hidden gems. Um, and the third, I don't know, the third's not fun. Those are just the to delete. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I really like to tell a story about one of the posts when I was, or one of the situations I was in when I was at mention the, the fast growing company is that One of the posts that was responsible for so much of our traffic and like amazing, amazing search rankings, and it was bringing like tens of thousands of views per month, um, was a post about some type of coding language. I don't even remember which one since that's like not my thing. Um, And we were a social media software. It was doing nothing for us. It was on the blog because at the very beginning, the content strategy was the developers and the co-founders sharing the process of building the app and like sharing this is the, this is the language is being coded in and stuff like that. But our content strategy had completely changed. And now we were getting, we were bringing tens of thousands of people per month to our website who weren't relate, who weren't, you know, having any type of problem that we solve who had no interest in our business. And we struggled for a long time with whether or not to like delete that or not, or how to make it work for us. Cause it was so much traffic and that felt good and the rankings felt good and stuff like that. But ultimately it wasn't just not working towards our goals. It was hurting us because it was taking away, you know, like it was signaling to the search engines that like, Oh, people coming to this post uh, don't find what they're looking for and stuff like that. And so uh, one thing I think, I think one of the biggest objections that I run into when I talk, to people about repurposing and stuff like that because for the most part people are so enthusiastic about it they see the value in it they just are kind of confused about where to start the one thing that i see objection to pretty frequently is the idea of deleting old content but that story can really drive home that it's hurting your active goals to continue having these content from your past goals around that is such a great point and it's just an a really 
powerful way to go back to what we all know is that it's not about the vanity metrics. Yes, you may be getting this amount of uniques a month, but if it's on a piece of content that had nothing to do with what you're ultimately selling, we need to look at the context behind the numbers. That's not actually doing anything for us. So again, I think what's coming up just as I'm listening to you is again, just the importance of actually looking at the data and looking at conclusions that you can be making consistently, whether that's weekly, monthly. So it's not just, oh, okay, our traffic's gone up, but is it the right kind of traffic? Is it the right kind of engagement on your social media channels? And really, that will really help you start to see, okay, what can we really drill down on, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say numbers don't lie, but they're really easy to misunderstand. The numbers were all saying that that post was successful, most of the numbers that we were looking at. Um, but when we were looking at like the why behind things, uh, that was when things stopped adding up. So always, you know, why is my favorite question? I like to say, think like a toddler. Um, it's just really great for your strategic thinking skills to just always be digging in one level deeper with a why. And um, yeah, and so we ended up through that process of like saying, you know, what what and why and how, um, we ended up actually finding a way that that post could work for us. We ended up taking it off our site, but moving it to a, I think it was a medium publication as a guest post by one of our developers. And it was focused on um, our company culture and recruiting other developers to work for us. It like linked to our uh, hiring page through this guest post instead of being on our blog where we were promoting marketing related lead magnets. That's such a great idea. And I love that. Again, just going to the critical thinking, you looked at the data, saw what it was presenting you with and started asking empowering questions like, okay, this isn't selling the product here, but how can we use it? How can we? And I think that's the problem. Sometimes we just end things there and it's all about the quality of the questions that we ask. So I love that you brought that full circle. One of the things that I often see is people talk about is with social media. It's easier sometimes with website traffic to be like, okay, we're getting lots of hits, we're ranking for this. But with social, sometimes it's really hard. And even with podcasts, it's hard to see a direct correlation sometimes with uh, conversion because I've seen people, they're like, oh, podcasts aren't working. <laughs> but actually, oftentimes we only see the results of what we're doing today in terms of this podcast episode in our pipeline, maybe three months later, six months later, and then you stop it. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, why don't I have any leads six months <laughs> later? How do you go about kind of looking at content like that, like podcasts, social media that doesn't always necessarily have an immediate impact in terms of your conversion goals? It's always great to talk to your customers and to ask them, you know, how they found you or how they follow you. Because uh, I know that you, you know, that's always a really great way to see like, oh, this person may have converted through this one email, but they were most engaged with my YouTube channel or something like that beforehand. At the first company that I worked at, uh, the sales team didn't think too highly of content marketing at first. And it was a really big struggle that I had when I was trying to grow my own career there. But one thing that really, really helped was once they would go to conferences and trade shows for the industry and they would talk to people and they would say where they were from and people would be like, oh yeah, I recognize that name from a blog post or something like that. And so like those were valuable contacts 
text that they were talking to, like in the right place, getting ready to close a sale saying, oh yeah, I read your blog. And so when it's something that's not super, super trackable, um, it's just the kind of thing that talking to your customers can help with. And it doesn't always have to be in person. I have learned a lot of my copywriting and marketing skills through copy hackers. And one thing that they are a really big fan of is placing surveys in lots of different places, like on thank you pages uh, for a product or something saying, where did you first hear of this product? And maybe it's in an Instagram story or something like that. And so since things like social media and to a lesser extent, other types of content marketing aren't really directly trackable in analytics because so much of that is relationship-based, then you just got to leverage that relationship and start contact with people and that can give you a better picture. 100%. Definitely like for those service providers listening, I do that whenever somebody books a discovery call with me, that's always the question that I ask. How did you find out about this? When anyone books some of the the programs that don't require a discovery call, we have like new members forms that we get people to complete so we can understand, okay, what part of our content strategy is resulting in the lion's share of our results. So that was such a great tip. Thank you, Brittany. One of the part of your process that I really love is the first part where you say that it's important to decide how much content you really need to meet your business goals. How do we figure that out? This goes back again to the audit. Um, And so what I like to say is I have a content planning process that I like to say it starts, um, it starts by creating containers for yourself, like saying, I want to promote this product on this date. And it's going to be, or yeah, let's, let's just walk through an example of the promotion that I did last week. I did um, a small promotion to my email list and I knew that it was going to be a four day promotion. I knew that it was primarily to my email list. And so that told me just from what I know about my marketing strategy, that it would need five emails, one per day, most days, and then two on the last day. I could come up with so much more topics and ideas to promote that. I could have, you know, sent, I could have sent five different, you know, FAQ emails alone. You know, it's, it's something that I just could have come up with. And it's something that happens once you've been promoting a product for a while, you have lots of questions about it. But I knew I didn't need that. I knew that I needed five topics. I knew that I would do one email. I knew that maybe I would do an Instagram post for each two. Um, And so just kind of knowing, kind of just setting parameters for yourself. Um, I like to think of it as um, creating containers and then kind of building filling them with content instead of just, and then when they're full, they're full, instead of just endlessly coming up with content forever and ever. Yeah, another analogy I like to look at um, and kind of show people when talking about this is, let's say you're publishing one blog post or social media post or podcast or piece of content per month, um, or I mean per week, um, and you do that for a year based on questions that you get from customers. After a year, how many how many of those questions have you not addressed in some way before? You know, like when you run out of questions, you don't need to necessarily create more content. You can just focus on resurfacing the uh, the the content around questions that you continue to get instead of creating new content to answer them. 
I want to quickly pause today's episode to invite you to join us in the Grow With Intention membership. This monthly coaching container is the place for online service providers ready to grow their business to the six-figure mark without overwhelm or hustle. The strategies I'm teaching every month in the membership are the exact strategies I've taught hundreds of clients, strategies that have helped countless women break the six-figure mark and beyond. I am collapsing time for you, sharing all the things you need to know to grow your online service business with ease. It's the first time I'm making these strategies available outside my high-level one-on-one and mastermind program. Every month in the membership, you'll get live trainings on topics like sales, marketing, strategic partnerships, and of course, mindset. All the things you need to know to break that next income level. Every month, you will get a live content audit from me where you'll get feedback on your sales material, social media channels, and your copy. So there will never be a time where you don't know what to say to convert your subscribers and followers into paying clients and customers. Every month you'll get a live Q&A call where you'll get all of your questions answered, not to mention hot seat coaching and daily support and prompts and accountability in our private Slack channel. If you know that now is your time, that you are ready to cross that next income level and step into that big vision, head to the show description for the link and come and join us. You don't know any of these things if you're not actually tracking and optimizing and actually looking at the data. That's why one of the things that I'm always telling my clients to do is after they've done a launch, there and then always do a a post-mortem of your launch. What were the posts that were successful? What were the messages that led to the most conversions? What were, where did the majority of your leads come from? We're never going to remember all of those details as much as straight after the launch. And that way, I feel like so often we over um, estimate like how much communication needs to be done, right? How much, you know, we need to do um, a challenge. We need to do a webinar. We need to do all of this to kind of hit our goals. Um, oftentimes we're just overcomplicating it. So the more that we can be testing these kind of launch strategies, seeing what really contributed to the bottom line, it just means that we refine the process even more. And from a messaging perspective too, we're not thinking, oh my God, what should the content be right now? You've almost fine-tuned, like these emails with this type of messaging is the thing that always wins. So it just gets easier and easier and easier. Exactly, and you can always reuse content. Um, people are not paying as much attention to your content as we like to think. It, you know, kind of sucks to think about, oh, you know, even my most devoted fans aren't going to remember this email in a few months. But that's actually great news because you can reuse it. And even your most devoted fans will be like, wow, I love this. This was so great. And that, why are you resending me this? So one thing that I am doing this week is that post-mortem, that debrief from my launch. And one thing that I'm doing is I'm making sure to copy and paste the emails from my ConvertKit account into Notion documents so that I have them for future campaigns. Uh, Because one thing a lot of people, another way that people really overwhelm themselves is, you know, you said they tend to overdo these launches and think they need all these different things. And then they also think that they need new content for each of those things. Uh, Like a friend of mine went through a launch recently where she did a five-day challenge and a webinar Um, and she was going to do them on two totally different like both related to her product but she was going to do them on basically two different products and I I said people that sign up for challenges 
are different from people who like webinars. They're two different personal preferences. You can do the same topic and teach it in two different ways. And that way you are just taking that signature topic and reaching all preferences possible with it. You don't need to create two entirely different sets of information. That is so true. Yeah, we just make it so much more complicated for ourselves. Yeah, and like your launch emails, if they're going to a long-form sales page, not, you know what, like 5% of people are going to click through the sales page. You worked hard on that sales page. Repurpose that copy for the emails. Oh, this is so good. Okay, so we're getting into it. I'd love for you to break down just some of these strategies just so people can start to get ideas of what this kind of remixing and remastering looks like. Sure thing. So one thing that I like to differentiate between is remixing and repurposing. So repurposing, the way a lot of people think about it, is just republishing content from one place in another place. Uh, And that can be good, but a lot of times it's not done strategically, and it's also not enough. So we talked about the content hamster wheel or treadmill at the beginning of time, at the beginning of the interview, and a lot of people turn repurposing into just another hamster wheel to run on where they're still creating the same amount of content, but now they also are trying to repurpose each piece of it to like 10 different places. And so instead of just building all of these other treadmills for yourself until you're running on like a bunch of different ones and dancing around like that video, oh, what was that band? Um, That band that dances on treadmills in their music videos, it'd be like that. But instead, you really want to use repurposing and remixing and stuff like that to be able to create less content. Uh, And that it goes back to that enough number. Like if you're going into a launch and you've launched before, improve the emails you have, change them, sure, but you don't have to start from scratch. And so that is remixing. And I really like to draw the analogy with the music industry um, because content is their product. And look at how creative uh, remixes and remasters get in that industry. You know, one of my favorite examples uh, that I like using in webinar slides is Billy Joel uh, on his Spotify page for every single song. He's got like five or six different recordings of it between like the original version and the version on his greatest hits album and the different live concerts and the remastered version of the original album. And so he is just coming up with all of these different ways to create new content from the original content in order to stay relevant. And that is really the approach that I like to look at instead of just repurposing everything you create in 10 different places or something like that. Yeah. So just riffing off that, then there are some areas, everyone has their areas that they like to create content natively. So it could be that you have a YouTube um, that that you put out every week. You may have a new podcast or you may do a IGTV every week. How can we get the biggest bang for our buck of that native content that we're creating each week? What tips do you have about how we can think about splintering that so we're not creating a different newsletter and a different you know, post feed? Like One of the things that I'm really loving is For example, if I've done a Instagram story doing a newsletter on it, or if I've done a podcast episode doing like a carousel post of like the main points, like how can we get the most bang for our buck of the native content that we're creating each week? Sure. So in the short term, that is where repurposing is going to be most useful. So 
say from week to week, you have your content calendar and the main piece of content is whatever is easiest for you to create. And then from there, you want to choose maybe one to three places to repurpose it to start out with. But don't go crazy repurposing your content in as many places as possible as soon as possible. Because you also don't know what content is really going to work yet. You want to wait for those numbers to come in. And then once you have a library of content and once you kind of know what your audience responds to, that's when you can start creating content a lot smarter or more smartly. I don't know what the right, but <laughs> that's, you know, where in addition to creating new content, you can also update and resurface old content. Uh, so for example, when I was managing these uh, busy editorial calendars for these startups, I would always leave, if we were publishing say three blog posts per week, I would always leave at least two spots a month on our editorial calendar open when we were planning out new content to re publish old posts too and make sure that we weren't letting anything get too stale in the first place. Yeah, that's such a great point. And yeah, like you see it all the time, like with podcast episodes where they'll be like, just bring back old episodes and you're like, wow, that must've been so buried down. Like I've been following this podcast for a while. I didn't even know that that podcast episode was there. But as you said, because they're giving it that time, they're bringing back their best hits, right? And they're introducing it to new people who have just kind of um, started following them. Exactly. Another cue from the entertainment industry, the greatest hits album. <laughs> yeah. Every pop star that's been around for a while has one. It's so uh, or if they don't, Spotify will even like curate um, like a and and kind of their own version of it as a playlist because they know that that gets plays and engagement. One hundred percent. And I wonder how you go about this, Brittany, because even things like like I have a podcast, so you know. I'm always, people are always DMing me like, oh, I'd love to review your podcast, but I don't, I don't know how to do it. So like creating little like videos, we have them in our Google Drive that I can access at any given time. So every so often I'll just share on stories, like this is how you can rate and, rate and review the podcast. Any kind of stories, um, graphics or copy that I've created in the past for um, launches in instead of me having to do it all the time, I just put everything in a Google Drive so that those those kind of conversations that you're constantly having or those just those sorts of elements, it's always there in a centralized place that you and your team always have access to. Yeah, perfect. And I actually have built something called the Content Remix Planner, Content Remix Library, like a planner to create your own library. Um, but it is uh, an Airtable base that helps you build that library of all of your content and what offers it promotes and what themes it has. And it is so helpful. It started off of an Airtable base, or, or I think it even started as a spreadsheet that I used at my last full-time job. And it was how I kept track of which posts I wanted to re republish and resurface and update and which ones I was just kind of going to let, let do their thing and stuff like that. And how we built our editorial calendar with repurposing and remixing into it. And so, yeah, that's a really great way to keep everything focused and always be resurfacing and using the best of what you have instead of forcing yourself to recreate the wheel. 
how do what do you recommend for people in terms of like getting their team on board with this because this is definitely something that i is a priority for me right now just because you know six and a half years in business like we have so much content from like podcast episode webinars trainings like and i've been really enjoying like listening to people's youtubes and podcast episodes where they've even give snippets from trainings that they've done in their group and they're just giving like really powerful tidbits I haven't got the time to be going through all my past trainings trying to see like what those snippets are and I think that's where a lot of people are going to be like I love the idea of this but I can't I wouldn't be able to now trust someone to go and see like what that clip from that training should be like how can we go about kind of creating systems with our team to make this remixing and remastering really easy without us being sucked into the weeds of it. This is, again, we're just going back to your goal will be really helpful because if you are saying, if you are, say, bringing someone onto your team specifically with the goal of helping you resurface content for your upcoming launch, um, you know what topic of content you're looking for and what themes of content you're looking for. And that provides them, uh, whoever you bring on for outsourcing, some direction. Um, so there, so it's not just a subjective, oh, which you know, video clips from your Facebook Lives do they think sound nice? It's uh, what talks about these topics and themes that are going to be necessary to talk about in this upcoming launch. And so just provide that is able to provide them a little bit of direction. And this is, again, we're starting to build that content library of proactively can be really helpful because uh, with whether you're using a spreadsheet or an Airtable uh, or a Google Sheet, um, a lot of places you can either automate it or just make it like a 10 minutes a month bare minimum maintenance to just keep track of, you know, what you're creating, the link and the topics. Because then if you bring someone on, they can just go through that spreadsheet, add in more information, pull out the specific information. Uh, so for example, one thing that I am probably going to be bringing someone on board for sometime soon is making Instagram videos out of some of my YouTube videos. Uh, and because I already know what my goals for kind of that what the marketing goals for that period of time are going to be. And I know kind of, I already have a database and a library that I can filter to find content around that topic. I can just say, these are the related videos and they can do what they need to do to get them ready for Instagram. I love it that it's not just in a vacuum. It's very much like I'm doing this now and I'm going to put the money behind it in outsourcing that because I know how this ultimately feeds into my business goals. Exactly. Another reason that I love keeping track of all of this stuff in Airtable or just like another tool that I love is Notion, any relational database tool is because they force you to connect things. Like when you set up an editorial calendar in a relational database and you go to enter a piece of um, data or a new idea in the pieces of content tab, it will ask you what goal is this related to? And you have to pick from like the fields that are entered in the goals spreadsheet. And so it's a really great Love way of checking that. yourself. If you can't pick, if there's nothing relevant, <laughs> then is that goal really, is that content really necessary if it's not related to any of your already defined goals? This is so good. Brittany, how <laughs> should people find these people? Is this, do we need someone that's like specific, has like 
the expertise in content or is this something that we could get a VA to do so long as we have like the guidelines and the systems to kind of set them up for success? What would you say and how can we find people? It really depends. Um, so for example, for the, the project that I talked about, I'm probably gonna be looking at video editors since it's specific to um, a video project. Um, when you're looking at repurposing for social media, obviously a social media manager uh, will help there. Um, general virtual assistants can be really helpful for getting together the admin and building out the content library and helping you clean up how your current content is arranged along with other admin and stuff. Um, I would look for more specialized VAs for these other things um, so that they at least have a little bit of experience like a social media focused virtual assistant or something like that. Um, and if you're going kind of further down the funnel and remixing and repurposing things like emails or sales pages, um, I would maybe look at a copywriter there um, at maybe like one of their kind of non-copywriting packages, like if they have a consulting package or something like that, because they would be able to tell you what the best pieces of conversion copy are that you would want to be repurposing. Um, but because again, so much of effective repurposing and remixing comes down to knowing what to do with your most strategic pieces of content. You just want to make sure that whoever you outsource to is able to discern that, you know, um, yeah. so a lot of VAs do are, you know, a lot of VAs these days do have a lot of specialized strategic skills. So it absolutely can be a VA. You just want to make sure it's one of those VAs. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that's just come through so strongly in this whole conversation. It's like data, data, data. It's not content is very different to content marketing. Content marketing yes. drives a conversion. It, Make, it mm -hmm. inspires people to do something. So yeah, it's not as simple as being like, I just want to make sure that I get lots of Instagram posts and stuff out. Um, it's yeah, needing somebody to be able to do the kind of admin side of it, but actually be able to look at the numbers and make discerning decisions based on the metrics. Oh, yeah, that is okay. such an important differentiation between content creation and content <laughs> marketing. Not only for the reason you said for the strategic for the strategy, but also because when you look at them as the same thing, that's when you get stuck on the content uh, hamster wheel because you think that in order to do content marketing, you have to create content. But if you already have content, then that's not necessarily true. That's so true. And one of the things that I strongly believe, and I'd love to just hear your thoughts, Brittany, before we wrap up is I, I'm all about the, the rule of one, right? And of mm. course you can build on that, but I'm like one traffic source, one conversion source, one core offer, right? So yeah. for me, my traffic source is Instagram. So any new things that are happening with Instagram, like I'm all in, I want to learn it. I want to make sure that I'm understanding how to really optimize that. I'm not stressing about Pinterest. I'm not stressing about LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm not listening to all those podcasts and those webinars and all of that great stuff. And then my conversion source is my, my podcast. So again, it's the same approach. And I think sometimes people then with the repurposing and everything, they're like, they have to be all things to all people. What you on every single platform. And I think there's definitely something to be said for that, but I do think there's something powerful about really mastering conversion content content marketing on the the channels that are really driving your bottom line exactly and when you take things one at a time also 
adding new platforms gets so much easier because you know I've I've been in content marketing for like 10 years now and at this point adding a new platform doesn't feel overwhelming because so many of them are so similar and you know ultimately it's all the same goals and communication it's just how you're kind of editing it and formatting it and stuff like that and so when you start off with one platform and you don't add another until you've learned some stuff you get to take all of that learning to the next platform and it becomes so much easier and versus when you just keep adding a bunch at a time you kind of just like shock your brain with all of the change and you've got to like when you're trying to learn all these different platforms at once you learn all of them more slowly and less comprehensively than if you just tackle one at a time so I, you know, like I, a lot of people do see my marketing and are like, wow, you're in a lot of places. Um, but again, it was, it was built one at a time. Yeah. And the key thing is that you're, you're tracking the data. Cause I think we can tell ourselves like, oh, I'm doing all the things. I'm in all of these places, but I'm always like, but do the numbers show why that's a valid case? Like it's yeah, the fact that you're the spending the time on LinkedIn and the Pinterest and Talk to me about the conversions of that. Are you getting a return on that investment? Whether that is, you know, you're repurposing it and you're spending less time. I still want to see like, is that actually really driving things for you? Yeah. And it's also like be, be, uh, what's the word? I guess like flexible and in defining your important numbers. Uh, like for example, Instagram is not that important to my personal content marketing business, but it's really fun to experiment with that stuff and like to create the infographics. So I still do it. And I'm not necessarily looking for conversions from that platform. I am looking for like skills to take to other platforms, you know, like for me, that's like, I am learning, I'm teaching myself how to design infographics. And when I design them for infographics, they also go on my blog. And so, um, I'm big at looking at transferable skills too. Um, uh, for example, for a while, when I was focusing on YouTube videos, it wasn't necessarily with the goal of having a lot of YouTube subscribers. It was because I was trying to get into public speaking and I just needed to practice my speaking. I love that. I never thought of it in that way. And that's so true. And it's funny because, yeah, me committing to being on Instagram stories every day has made it so much easier in, yeah, presentation and all of that because you've just become unfazed about delivering content in a video format. Yeah. Oh, really? So some things won't be like, um, I think that, I think the term is like a lead indicator or a lag indicator, like yeah. some key performance indicators don't directly lead to the result you're looking for, but they still kind of give you the skills or even just confidence that you need to get there. And so there's definitely still value in that. Brittany, how can people continue to learn from you and connect with you? You can find me at brittanyberger.com or on the socials at thatbeberg. Love it. Thank you so much, Brittany. This has been awesome. Thanks again for having me. So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit podcast. You can download more episodes of this podcast and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова